Today's episode had a tragic accident somewhere in the uh, recording process. The sound file in many places of this episode is corrupt, and usually what would happen here is I would throw the episode in the bin. But it's the B-movie episode, and I can't ask her to record again. So what I've done is every time there is an area I've had to truncate the sound a little bit, I've marked that by playing the following B sound. So to be clear, if you hear this B sound, it's because of a tragic accident. But I think you'll be able to get some engaging content from this anyway. Anyway, enjoy the episode. Elise, over and out. It was the best of times. It was the blurst of times. (laughs) clink on my part. <laughs> it's like you were trying to shatter the glass. <laughs> Which would have been a very good sound effect. Mm-hmm. But of course we're not drinking out of those glasses so I could get a bit of a swing on because we're drinking out of much more interesting receptacles. <laughs> yes we are. We are drinking wine out of hurricane glasses uh, but plastic hurricane glasses. We bought these about a month ago. Yeah. When we realised that we could make our own pina coladas. Mm-hmm. There's a story behind this in that when I was in Vancouver, I was in a cafe slash pub and they played the pina colada song so many times during the one hour that I was there that it brainwashed me into really wanting a pina colada. But the problem with Vancouver, BC, is that they're too cool there for pina colada. So... None of the places that did cocktail had pina coladas, because that's yesterday's drink. Yeah. And I've just been obsessed with trying to find a place that does them ever since. And they're surprisingly difficult to get anywhere, including Edinburgh. So then I found a recipe online. Rum was on sale. And I thought I'd make pina coladas. One thing led to another, and I bought some plastic hurricane glasses, plus those little straws. With uh, with an umbrella. Do you want to be drinking wine out of those? That would make a weird sound for the podcast. <laughs> make a very weird sound. <laughs> and uh, we've kind of stopped making pina coladas because you can have too much of a good thing. Mm-hmm. And now we just use them for other things. Like I've drunk milk out of them. Yeah, I've had water out of them. And now they're full to the brim with wine. <laughs> but the the glasses are not what they once were. Because they're made of plastic, and we put them in the dishwasher, and now they're oddly shaped. Yeah, they've been... They've been warped. Sculpted. <laughs> they've been sculpted by by the hot water and the suds. Mostly the hot water. So now all of them are different sizes. Which makes it really difficult to get the right amount of wine in each one. Yeah. So this time I thought, why not just cut my losses and <laughs> completely fill up the whole hurricane glass with wine? Yeah. And I think we're going to need it. Shannon, Uh, you're so cynical. I'm incredibly cynical. Welcome to Cursed or Blessed. (laughs) The the podcast where we watch 
questionable movies from our childhoods and other people's childhoods, and also sometimes TV shows because that we don't abide by laws. Yeah. And we revisit them and try and figure out if they're cursed or blessed or the sweet spot between the two, blessed. And I know what you're thinking. This premise sounds like it's perfect for one particular DreamWorks movie. Why haven't they touched that movie yet? Why haven't they they done that movie? Well, the time is now. I think I said sort of near the end, if we hadn't watched Cat in the Hat, this would be the worst one. That's a bit much. And you did remind me about Return to Oz from very, very early days. What about Annie? I don't know. I feel like at least I can look at Annie and be like, well, they're very talented dancers, you know? They're very talented animators working for DreamWorks. Same thing. But at what cost? Oh, oh, well, I, I feel like this, this, this is kind of putting a right to the world because in the next, in the coming month, Halloween month, we're mostly for your benefit watching a bunch of Halloween movies and I don't dislike Halloween, but a whole month of it is a bit much. We're so. watching Halloween movies for the benefit of our wonderful listeners who... Watching it want this you. content. Did they ask for it? They did. They've been chomping at the bit. Chomping at the bit for the B-movie. Listeners, send us a note on Instagram about how hyped you are for all the Halloween movies we have planned. Send me a note on Instagram about how hyped you are to watch Babe. For us to watch Babe and talk about it. Oh, God. Every time you have a movie that you're hyped to watch, I suffer. Deep in my soul. <laughs> you knew you were getting into this podcast. <laughs> we can't, it can't all be sunshine and, and rainbows and blessed movies, Sharon. <laughs> Listen, Ellis. <laughs> it's been a hard week. It's been a hard knock life, if you ask me. <laughs> it's a hard knock life for the bees in the bee movie. It is, yeah. I guess we should get into it. If you've not heard of the B-movie... Congratulations. Yeah, how? How have you not... <laughs> this is one of those DreamWorks movies that's, like, memed to shit. Oh, no. <laughs> Just, okay, for context, listeners... The, uh, the hurricane glasses have a detachable base and one's just fallen off of Shannon's. <laughs> it's like you're holding, like, one of those Viking horns for which there's no base, but it's a shitty hurricane glass. Yeah, exactly. I'm not gonna be putting this down until it's empty, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> if you have any Viking forefathers, uh, they'd be proud. I know mine are. I'm not sure I have any Viking forefathers. I think they were all pretty much... Druids of some kind. You know what the Vikings are like, then I got around. Oh, that's true. Maybe yeah, I do. Randy bastards. Maybe I do have some Viking forefathers. Well, know this. They would approve of these hurricane glasses. <laughs> I'm glad. They would encourage us to be drinking a hearty drink of what they probably would think was mead. You know? Yeah. Like, if a Viking came into, into this room right now, we probably would be like, nice mead that you've got there. I see you've removed the base. Yeah. I'm going to remove my base now. I'm We're holding, in it now. I'm holding my hurricane glass that is usually used for pina colada, but is now used with white wine. Like a Viking. Like a my Viking. My stomach is full of sushi. 
And your head is full of bees. And my heart is full of righteous anger. <laughs> to battle. The Bee Movie is a DreamWorks film that the, the production team is very much literally just Jerry Seinfeld. Yeah. It was written and produced and by and starring Jerry Seinfeld. Jerry Seinfeld playing a bee who is meant to be an adolescent? <laughs> or, like, straight out of college? Yeah, like a young man. Out of bee school. But he's fully just Jerry Seinfeld. Yeah. <laughs> Never has a voice been so distracting (laughs) on any of the cartoons we've watched for this podcast than Jerry Seinfeld as Barry B. Benson. (laughs) You never really quite sink into the voice being someone different. Yeah. (laughs) Especially because the character's always making, like, shitty Jerry Seinfeld stand-up-esque jokes. Yeah, yeah. And he sort of delivers the lines like this, huh? 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 And he does a little bit as though he's doing stand-up at one point in it. Yeah. As a stand-up comedian myself, out of work because of the Rona, mm-hmm. I talk like I get paid often for it. I only get paid rarely. But, you know, as a stand-up comedian myself and a bee enthusiast, I was upset by Barry B. Benson's portrayal of all of the things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And really, this this movie is is uh, is about Barry B. Benson worried about being stuck in a dead end job as a worker bee in in the hive. Mm-hmm. He wants adventure in a great void somewhere. He wants it more than he can tell because no one told him that worker bees have to do the same job all their short lives. Yeah, no one informed him of this until. He was out of college, even though every other bee seems to know that this is the case. You might be thinking, Ah, I, Joe Listener, am a big fan of bees. I know a little bit about about hive structure. Sounds like you're talking about a male worker bee. How can that be? Because usually the, the, the males of the hive are drones. Yeah. A.K.A. sex machines. They're just there for breeding. Yeah. In, 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 in honey beehives. So, what's Barry B. Benson doing, uh, getting getting a worker bee job? Well, th- this is not an ecologically sound movie. It, it really isn't. Like, all of the bees are male bees. We hear extensively from one female bee, and that's Barry's mother. The primary leadership of the hide seems to be male. Yeah. All of the bees in any position of authority are dudes. They talk about the queen, but we never see her. We know that bees live in a matriarchy. And there's no evidence of this. So, yeah, the B, the B movie just starts sort of in situ as he's having this sort of breakdown. Yeah. Because he doesn't want a job. Uh, but he does encounter some bees called the pollen jocks. Mm-hmm. Who, who go out and get nectar for the hive. Also males, which is incorrect. Yeah. Just saying. Like, really sort of... They're meant to to look like bodybuilder bees, which is quite odd. Now this disturbs me because there there has to be a small minority of people watching the bee movie who see the the pollen jocks and think that bee that bee'd get it. <laughs> you know? 
That's the implication of the movie, because there's all the, the female bees that are, like, fawning over them. Yeah. It's like, what are we meant to take from this? Tagline of the bee movie. That bee'd get it. <laughs> I think the tagline of the bee movie is, what are we meant to take from this? <laughs> oh, because there's so much to unpack. <laughs> okay, before you like progress with the plot, I, I think this is a, a very DreamWorks thing happens in this opening sequence. Okay, first of all, every fifth bee has the same face. Yeah. You know how in Frozen, every every sixth background character at the ball has the same face? They just have slightly different, like clothing colors and skin and skin tones but they have the same face this is the same with bees mm-hmm. which might be a, a deliberate choice given the amount of inbreeding that happens within a hive mm-hmm. they are all cousins after all as the movie points out many times in several incest jokes yeah there's a lot of them <laughs> more than you'd think in a kid's movie <laughs> more than you'd think of a lot of things in a kid's movie. For <laughs> a kid's movie. And secondly, it does another very DreamWorks thing of maybe planting the seeds for a ride for a theme park. Yeah, it right, does. I guess. Like, immediately. Universal? Where does DreamWorks have their rides? Somewhere in the great state of Florida. I think it's probably Universal. Yeah. I don't know, though. All of the cars and, like, fun gadgets and stuff in the hive. There's even, like, a a log flume joke. Yeah, they're on a car. They're in a car on the way to work, and they go around a loop on it. Yeah. Can we talk about the honey in this movie? (laughs) Because I'm really annoyed about it. And it starts with this log flume bullshit. Go for it. Honey in this movie is used for everything. It's like the writers were like, what's a bee thing? Honey. (laughs) And then just stopped listing stuff. (laughs) So honey is the water in this weird hive log flume. They eat honey. Honey is... In their swimming pools. Honey is morphine. Honey is, there's, yeah, a bee on like a, a, a morphine drip and it's just a bag of honey. It's the same joke about ten times. <laughs> it's a gag a minute. And it's more annoying every single time. <laughs> okay, but just before I forget. This is going to be a hard episode because there's so many things to say. The plot of this movie is so weird. But before I forget, I just want to say something about comedy. And I'm not going to get on my high horse. This is not, if you're listening in and you're a massive Seinfeld fan, I'm not saying I'm funnier than Seinfeld. I'm saying anyone can be funnier than Seinfeld. (laughs) Ayo, ayo, ayo. And that's how you write a joke. You shut AO afterwards? You just, to make it clear that you've done a joke. That you've done a joke, yeah. AO! Really, this is proof that we've had a very serious podcast up to this point, because we've not been shouting AO after we've made a joke. Yeah. Because we haven't been. No, it's true. Anyway. I'm a novice to comedy, so I didn't know. (laughs) Now you know. Now I know. My point being, okay, how to say this tactfully. When I was in Vancouver... And I got involved in the comedy scene over there. And I'm not saying this is the whole of Canada that's like this, but Vancouver, it definitely was the case. I would go to a lot of open mics, and unlike the UK, the open mics would be very male-dominated. They are here too, but not to that extent. Like, I would often be 
the only non-male. Mm-hmm. There'd only be like there'd be like two women, mm-hmm. one non-binary person, and like fifty men on mm-hmm. an open mic, and it would just be like a sl- like ridiculous shows, like three minutes of open mic content per person, rapid fire. The only people in the audience were also comics. It was a bad night, and I couldn't shit talk it because they all loved the system because that's what they knew. Mm-hmm. And I would talk to the people who were also comics there because what else do you do? And so many of them said that their ultimate comedic hero was Seinfeld. And I never watched the show Seinfeld, but I do know the joke about him making jokes about airline food. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and I found it interesting because they all thought he was the god of comedy and yet when they went on stage and opened their mouths only shit came out of their mouths which is actually really disgusting it is and they're up there to do jokes and it was it was actually kind of gross what they did mm-hmm. it was actually kind of gross what they said most of these men actually i'm not going to go off on this for too long or else i'm just going to be ranting for the full hour i'm not saying this is of everyone who likes seinfeld and that ilk of comedian but there was a definite correlation between people who said that seinfeld and that generation of American comics was their favourite and like that I don't know how I started that sentence but I'm going to finish it by saying that their jokes were often like harmful Mm -hmm. and I don't think I'm overly sensitive just like horrible stuff lots of abuse on that particular circuit Mm -hmm. my long winded point with, with this whole bit is that when you google something like I'm a comedian, I have writer's block, or how to do comedy, or what should what habit should I develop? This thing comes up where people are like, Jerry Seinfeld tries to write ten jokes a day in his notebook. He'll wake up in the morning and he'll write ten jokes, and he doesn't stop until he writes ten jokes, and he does this every day. And I don't think it's a good idea, because jokes are really hard to just... It's not something you can easily drill. It works for some people, but it's indicative of a certain, like, going for lots of cheap jokes instead Mm -hmm. of working hard to hone better ones. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I also see on the same forums, from a very particular type of comic, something about, like, laughs a minute. You need to get this many laughs a minute. Mm -hmm. If you don't have five laughs in your first minute, at least then you're a joke and joke. And people, like, actually go to open mics and they have their friend count how many, like, individual laughs they get. And then they have, like, a sort of, like, rating. It's like a sort of, like, pace, you know, of jokes. I'm not even kidding. Yeah, That's not... If you're a good comic, that's not even a concern, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Either people are having a good time or they're not. You don't have to worry about it. Yeah. Um, And my point being... I feel like I'm trying to... I feel like at the start, it might have been something like I was saying Jerry Seinfeld is a bad man. He might not be. He might be fine. I feel like I'm Seinfeld neutral. But the the type of comedic environment generated (laughs) by the love of Seinfeld is what's made this movie so bad. Because there's like 10 jokes packed into every minute. And all of them are terrible. They're so bad. They're just cheap. Or they're confusing. Like, it's like the structure of a joke is there, but you're like, what? Yeah, like, why? There's a weird moment right in the beginning where Jerry Seinfeld B, Barry, is talking to his friend whose name I don't remember. And there, and Barry is like, don't you think stuff in the hive runs too efficiently sometimes? And the friend's like, 
I don't know what you mean. And then it cuts out and they're standing in the middle of like an intersection with cars driving all around them. And there's a beat like we're meant to laugh. And then it cuts back in. And I don't know what that joke is. It cuts back in and then Seinfeld says, I can't think of anything. You got me. And then there's another beat where you're meant to laugh. Yeah. And it's like, I guess. Like, what is, what's the joke? <laughs> it would have helped if he'd pointed at the camera and said, Ayo! <laughs> is there... There's traffic? Like, what? I don't know. I was never a fan of Seinfeld, the show, or Jerry Seinfeld stand-up particularly, but I'm not a stand-up aficionado, so I don't feel like I need... I have an opinion here, really. I mean... <laughs> Your opinion probably wouldn't be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> the jokes are just packed in, and you can tell that they're meant to be jokes, but none of them are funny. I don't think I got one genuine laugh out of this movie. I laughed a lot uh, by looking at your pained expression. <laughs> I, was, I was right in the, the, the chuckle buffs the entire time, let me tell you. I, I went to bed grinning. I was suffering. <laughs> it was just painful. It was a... It did have a an essence of a say cat in the hat to it, where there were a handful of jokes, probably more than a handful, that were like, who are these jokes for? You know? Yeah. That were like, they weren't very good, they weren't very funny, and they were also like, definitely not for children. <laughs> yeah. Like, children wouldn't get these jokes, but they're also <laughs> bad jokes. Yeah. So, why are they in here? <laughs> and at least the cat in the hat had the audacity just to be, like, mostly completely nonsensical with their jokes. Mm. The plot of this is the biggest joke of all. Oh and we've barely scratched the surface. Barry goes off with the pollen jocks. They they were making fun of him. They were like, oh, yeah, you think you got what it takes? Come fly with us to the dandelion patch or whatever the fuck. So, <laughs> I think it's Central Park. In Central Park, they shoot out through the hive and have a lovely flying scene through Central Park. Barry B. Benson knows what a box kite is because he's like, wee, box kite. And it's like, how would you know? But whatever. (laughs) And he's realizing he really loves being outside after quarantining for so long as a bee. (laughs) As a bee inside the hive. Uh, but then danger strikes because some bees go down and they find some tennis balls and think they're flowers, but they're mm. actually tennis balls. Barry ends up stuck to one and ends up being bounced around on a tennis ball by Vanessa, a human woman, mm-hmm. and Ken, a human man. <laughs> the most tragic character in cinematic history. Ken voiced by national treasure Patrick Warburton, who I love. Voice of Kronk. <laughs> um, and the voice, and for anyone who's watched it, the voice of Lemony Snicket in the um, Series of Unfortunate Events TV show. Oh, really? Yeah, he's so good. Oh, I like that. <laughs> he voices Ken in this movie. <laughs> More on that later. <laughs> Barry ends up getting lost um, and separated from the other bees. And is flying around New York after a, a madcap car chase for some reason with the most poorly animated baby I've ever seen. Oh my god, yeah. Some of the background human characters are very cursed in this movie. Yeah. They're just the wrong side of the uncanny valley. 
And I think babies are the most difficult for these studios to pull off. Mm. And I think it's a bit like how in, you know, in medieval times, whenever they tried to paint the baby Jesus, yeah. <laughs> it looks like it's got the body of a baby, but the face of a 50-year-old like bank assistant. Yeah. With the longest, spindliest fingers. And he's like... Mama, let me suck on your nipple. <laughs> like, baby Jesus, that's creepy. Because they can't paint babies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no one gave them the workshop on how to paint babies. And DreamWorks Animation got their time machine and hired these people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> they were like, yeah, let's get all these medieval painters and, and put them on, like, one task force and get them to animate this one baby. <laughs> <laughs> Barry ends up flying in a rainstorm and oh yeah by the way there's bee laws bees have a very strong set of laws and there's two of them one is don't talk to humans and the other one is don't fly in the rain and Barry breaks both of those immediately yeah fucking instantly <laughs> so he he ends up landing in like a, a window box of flowers in the rain mm-hmm. and the house he's in is Vanessa's um, the person from tennis what a coinkydink. Vanessa's boyfriend, I guess, Ken, tries to kill Barry with a, a rolled up magazine. And she saves Barry and, like, puts him back out into the planter. And he's like, I have to, I have to thank her. It would be rude not to. And breaks the only bee law, don't talk to humans, to talk to Vanessa and be like, thanks for saving my life. And then she spends a full, I'm not kidding, ten minutes of the movie being like, You talk? I'm going crazy. (laughs) Which is funny because no other character who learns that bees talk throughout the rest of this movie, which is quite a lot of them, ever has any response at all. (laughs) Yeah, they're like, sure. Uh, Yeah, whatever. (laughs) I don't know how this hasn't come up in human history before. <laughs> I guess bees just love sticking to the law, you know? Yeah. Apart from Barry B. Benson. Mm-hmm. The original rebel bee. <laughs> and then, basically, they start dating. And it sounds like I'm lying, but... But they do. They they just start dating. Except what she's, she's cheating on Ken with a bee. Because <laughs> she doesn't break up with Ken. She just starts, like, blowing him off or... Dates and stuff. <laughs> yeah. It starts off with, like, uh, coffee at her place, and then they go to the park and have picnics. Mm-hmm. He he returns to the hive, but he's disillusioned with bee society. He's, he's swimming in his parents' swimming pool made of honey. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, shut up, mum and dad. You don't know me. Many of these beats would work better if Barry didn't have the voice of Jerry Seinfeld, who's not a teenager. So much of this movie would work better if Jerry Seinfeld wasn't involved. (laughs) But then there wouldn't be a movie, there wouldn't be a B-movie without Jerry Seinfeld. Mm Mm-hmm. So you you knew that that this movie had a romance element to it, right? I did, yes. You were aware of this, so this wasn't a shock to you that this happened. For a lot of people, when I talk about the bee movie, they're like, it's scandalous, a human's dating a bee. (laughs) Which, yeah, I guess. 
I did I did kind of think it was just a meme. I didn't necessarily think it was intentional in the movie. It's super so I explicit. was surprised by how on purpose the romance was. I kind of <laughs> thought it would just be like, oh, it seems like it's a a weird human bee romance plot because it's badly written. But that part was fully on purpose. Yeah. And that was surprising to me. <laughs> they end up going on on a on a on a date or a pre-date excursion, I'm not too sure, to the supermarché. Mm-hmm. That means supermarket in French. Does it? I don't know. Le shop. <laughs> I lasted French in the ninth grade, I don't know. I have an a GCSE A in French. And I'm not certain that Supermarché is... <laughs> if you can speak French or are French or a French-Canadian or an, an, from another Francophone country, chime in. Is Supermarché a word? <laughs> well, they go to one. They go to yeah. the Supermarché. <laughs> <laughs> and they see this, this supermarket has more honey than I've ever seen in any store. Yeah, they have a whole aisle for honey. Yeah. Which is the dream, really. Because usually, like, here at least, you go and try and get honey, and there's only three types of honey. Yeah. And th- this has fully 12 types of honey. This is the first Barry's hearing about honey being eaten by humans. He's incensed. I think it's very key that Barry's life up until this point has not at all been affected by humans harvesting honey because he is from a hive that's just in a tree in the park that no one is harvesting honey from. No. That's important to remember. Very important. Barry gets very intense about trying to figure out where the honey came from and ends up like on a a truck on the way to the honey farm. They've got a whole honey truck supplying this one supermarket. And he ends up back at the farm and learns about bee farming. Yeah. And is very upset. Yeah, and this sets off a whole random extra... I don't even want to call it a subplot of the movie. Because the movie has, like I think, four very distinct bits to it and this starts another bit yeah the movie doesn't have plots that weave together like a normal story they just like unfold in a linear order so we start with the coming of age done that yeah rom-com yeah done that now yep they're still dating but we're done with that genre yep and now it's legal drama time <laughs> now it's a legal drama we're not even kidding we're not even kidding joe listener so he immediately starts a heist he yep. uh, goes to the uh, the warehouse, I guess, of the supermarché and figures out where the honey comes from, mm-hmm. which farm it comes from in that particular instance. After a really long fight scene with one of the one of the packers for the supermarket. Yeah, that's I'm still not really sure what to make of that scene. <laughs> they have a, a like a a sword fight with a thumbtack and very stinger. Which, granted, I quite enjoyed. I did not. <laughs> <laughs> it goes on for a while and this guy has it in for this bee. In a way that no one really has it in for bees. Like He's like, I hear you, bee, so you can talk, you bastard. I'll murder you dead. I'll kill you. 
What I do think is interesting is that the beekeepers at the farm do seem to have it in for bees. Like, they've got <laughs> yeah. the bee smokers, and they're talking, like, I don't know, a couple of mobsters being like, they make the honey, we make the money. Like, no one with livestock <laughs> talks like this. If I like, had... they pull the fast one on the bees. <laughs> they don't know that bees are sentient. Those absolute jumps. <laughs> um, if I had to imagine a, a beekeeper in my mind, it would be a very gentle soul who... Um, I had a, a healthy respect for bees. Yeah. But these are just like, they're yeah. all Cruella de Vil, but beekeepers. <laughs> I was going to say they're like a Bond villain. <laughs> um, Barry's like, oh my god, this is the worst evil ever committed by humanity. Yeah. Because to him, I guess it is. Uh, so Barry takes the entire human race to court. Sounds like we're lying. It is we're not. We're not. He does do that. Barry, on behalf of all bees, sues all humans. Which is interesting, given that not all bees are having their honey taken from mm-hmm. the humans. And the bees who are in the court with him are all the bees from the hive. From his from hive. Central Park. Yeah, the hive that's not having its honey harvested at all. Yeah. Which is perplexing. <laughs> We never meet any of the bees from the bee farm. They go up against uh, representatives from from the five major food companies and a very, uh, very evil, over-the-top lawyer. Voiced by John Goodman, again from The Emperor's New Groove. Oh. He's Pacha. Oh. Wasted talent. Yeah. (laughs) And this is a really long part of the movie, and they go hard. They have cameos, they have Sting. The musician Sting, yeah, and he's being he's being done for cultural appropriation of bees. I, yeah, that's how they are portraying it. Yeah, as a cultural appropriation thing because he's he's using the stage name Sting, mm-hmm. and they want him arrested for that because only bees sting, <laughs> <laughs> not like scorpions or jellyfish or wasps, and, and they're like Mr. Sting. You used to be in in the police, but you're you're never a policeman. That's another fake stage name. Gotcha. <laughs> it's a very odd segment because it doesn't seem to have anything to do with the rest of the lawsuit. There's also Ray Ray Liotta, yeah. his name, um, who's a cameo in this. Mm-hmm. And uh, th- th- these two cameo characters are over animated. Yeah. Their faces look crazy compared <laughs> to all the other DreamWorks-looking people. <laughs> A.K.A. big eyes. Yeah. Cocked eyebrows, you know? Yeah, yeah. Of DreamWorks fame. Oh my god. <laughs> in fact, so much happens in the legal drama bit that I, I kind of forget. Someone accuses the bees of trying to play the race card. Like, oh the species God. card. That was so cursed. I don't even know what led up to that, but it was horrible. It was, oh, my God. So many of the things in this lawsuit scene are so ill-conceived. <laughs> There's a bit where the the lawyer goads Barry's friend, again, I don't remember his name, into stinging Adam. him. Adam. Mark. 
<laughs> and just stinging him. And then and then Mark almost dies because of it. This is the bee that needs morphine that's actually honey. Yeah. Um and he has to get like a little a, a little cocktail sword put in instead of the stinger. And that's very strange. <laughs> it's funny because it's pink. Haha. <laughs> and he's a man. <laughs> This movie. This movie is so cursed. <laughs> um, eventually they win the lawsuit because uh, Barry remembers that when he's been out on this heist to investigate the honey industry, they saw uh, the sort of steam gun that they use in yeah, hives, yeah. Um, which is making the bees all drowsy and depressed and, you know. Mm-hmm. So then they bring in the steam gun and then the lawyer uses it on the bees and a lot of bees suffer. And then the court is like... The bees win. The bees win against humanity. All the honey production worldwide will should hereby cease. Worldwide. Based on this one case in, in New, New York. York. That has terrible implications. What global laws can also be made in New York? <laughs> I don't want to know. Yeah, and... What happens in New York should stick in New York, goddammit. And that the the fallout of this lawsuit is is super strange. Like all the honey gets taken off the shelves, people get like arrested for eating honey. Yeah, um, there's a very distressing bit where there's an old lady who's pouring some honey into a cup of tea, and like a bunch of police like just get her. Yeah, it's horrible. And then there's a like honey all like a body washes or whatever with honey in them get get snatched. <laughs> Winnie the Pooh gets trank darted. It's it's a bizarre montage. <laughs> Sting, who is revealed to be able to fly, <laughs> is arrested. Yeah, for for culturally appropriating bees. Um. <laughs> ah. And then we finish the legal drama section. That bit's done now. All the bees in Barry's hive are no longer working because they don't have to. But please bear in mind that they didn't have to in the first place because yeah. they weren't humans weren't taking their honey. Yeah, they were making honey for themselves. But they act like now that they're not making now that no bees are making honey for humans, they suddenly don't have to work at all. But they weren't making honey for humans in the first place. Meanwhile, things are going bad for Ken, the oh, true hero yeah. of this movie. Yeah, life is hard for Ken. There's a date night with uh, with Barry and Vanessa, and they're having a romantic meal in her house. Yeah. And and Ken comes in and is like, that's my seat. This bee sat at my seat, eating my food. And Vanessa's like, ugh, there's some leftovers. You can heat it up in the microwave. And she's like... Barry agrees, by the way, Ken, that you should alter such and such on your resume. And Ken's like, I've fucking had it with this bee. Because I was dating this woman. There was no... Actually, first of all, there's no evidence that he was being bad to her. Yeah. He's just a bit of a meathead. Yeah. He likes tennis. <laughs> like, that's his personality. He, he's looking for a job and he likes tennis. That's all that's ro- like wrong with Ken. Yeah. N- neither of those things are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and then suddenly he finds out that his girlfriend is cheating on him with a fucking bee <laughs> so yeah he tries to kill Barry he's got like a, bo- a can of hairspray and a lighter and I gotta I've got to applaud his ingenuity um <laughs> in attempting to kill Barry uh but he does not succeed which is unfortunate <laughs> Shannon have we sided with the with the antagonist again yes 
Is Ken the villain? I think maybe Ken's the villain. I can't think of a, a better candidate, really. Candidate. Candidate. There's no real clear villain. Like, even the the heads of the honey companies, none of them have names or personalities. Like, we're not... I guess the the their lawyer is maybe a bit of the villain for that segment of the movie, but in large part, not really. Yeah. There's not a clear antagonist for the entire film, so Ken's the best we're gonna get. And he's my favorite. Uh, yeah, he's the best one. Oops, we did it again. <laughs> we sided with the villain. His name was Ken. <laughs> it's not our fault. Movies should be better. <laughs> Um, sadly, uh, this has had huge ecological consequences in that all nature is dying globally. Yeah. It sounds like I'm lying. I'm not. <laughs> no, all, nature is, is done now. Central so, Park has turned grey. Only bees pollinate things, and pollinating things is the same as making them alive. <laughs> Did you know that your house plants are actually just gray and dead because there are bees pollinating them? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's why we're going wrong in this house. Yeah. More bees, we should have more bees. We should have more bees. And then we should start dating them. <laughs> I support you <laughs> in whatever your endeavors are. I'd also like to say that even though the movie is fine with a bee and a human dating... There are so many jokes, at least 20 jokes, I'm not kidding, about interspecies dating being creepy or weird mm. by the bees about other animals. Yeah. It, this is a joke that's repeated. It's like, oh, I know everyone else likes spiders with all the legs, but I can't get over that face. Yeah. Or, I heard my cousin went out with a cricket. Ew. Oh, did you hear about Gary? He's dating a moth. Or the mosquito being like... Oh, all mosquito women want to date moths, not mosquitoes, which is part of, I'm not going to talk about the mosquito, the mosquito voiced by Chris Rock, who I don't want to discuss. Oh my god. (laughs) There's also a long series of jokes about bees having an incredibly short lifespan. That's also a recurring joke. Yeah, so where's their relationship going to go? Yeah. Like, it's not sustainable. Just stay with Ken, Vanessa. (laughs) Um, but, but Vanessa is is currently very angry with Barry because it was his fault and his fault alone. It was his idea to sue humanity. Even though she was helping him and on his legal team, she's not taking any responsibility for that. No, because now bees have stopped working and all of nature is dying. And that confuses me as a... Um, just as a general plot point because Barry like is suing humanity for ownership of honey. And the end result seems to be that bees stop making it at all. Yeah. Which is, like, that doesn't follow. Yeah, even the ones who weren't making it for humans in the first place are now just pissing around. Yeah. Like, no, you were doing this, what did you think, honey was invented in a human-bee partnership in the first place? No, it's just always been a thing that bees do. Yeah. But Vanessa's angry about this. Um, She's a florist, so her business is folded because of all the plants dying. Yeah, so there's this, like, flower show in a city that's not New York. I don't know where it's meant to be. 
And Vanessa decides she's going to go there for the last time to see the flowers, as though all of humanity wouldn't be collapsing anyway. <laughs> Not just flowers. Um, and Barry ends up going with her. They kill order, a woman. They do. In order to get the flowers on this, like, at this parade, they, like, shove a woman off a float made of flowers in order to <laughs> steal it and put it on a plane to go back to New York. But then, like, the last 20 minutes of the movie is this weird, like, action-crashing plane sequence. Oh, yeah, this becomes a plane movie now. This is a really long sequence, too. So, um... I don't even know why Barry tries to go up to the to the cockpit in the first place. I don't know if he's just telling the pilots to go faster. I don't know what he's doing. I, I think he's telling them to go faster. Which I don't think they have much control over, but fine. So, oh yes, he is telling them to go faster because they're concerned about the, the flowers wilting in the hold. Mm. So they <laughs> he goes to see the pilots in the cockpit and then... A mix of them getting freaked out and just some slapstick stuff mm-hmm. means that they're both knocked out unconscious. And Barry and Vanessa now are tasked with flying and landing the plane in the middle of a thunderstorm, suddenly. Yeah, and then all, all the other bees are suddenly at the airport and are making... Like, half of them are on the ground making a big flower signal with their bodies and the other half are the pollen jocks that are like lifting the plane oh yeah none of the humans on board the plane are freaking out by the way not fine none of them it's fine they haven't twigged nope they haven't noticed and they they there's a rallying cry that's mentioned in this part of the movie that you think by the way the bees are talking like they've mentioned it before and maybe it was from a different cut of the movie where they did mention it before yeah where all the bees say we're not made of jello. We get behind the fellow. Black and yellow. And they say it, yeah, they do. They say it as though it's been mentioned many times. And with such confidence that, like, I I looked over at you and was like, did I miss this? Nope. No. No. They only mention it at the end of the movie. Vanessa's flight, she's steering the plane and is helped out by the bees. And she says wistfully, they really do get behind the fellow. What? <laughs> what fellow? Other bees? Maybe. Humanity? Who's the fellow? Who's accusing bees of being made of jello? Why do bees know what jello is? I'm. I think that's the bit where a part of me died. That's the bit. Like, I was. I was distressed and not enjoying myself and then at that point when they were like we're not made of jello i was like this is the end (laughs) movies are canceled (laughs) and then they land the plane like a bee would approach a flower they sort of like the nose kind of like skirts around the ground for a bit as if something's like that's sniffing Mm. the flower Mm. and then it lands and then barry gives an, an impassioned speech about how bees fly and how they fly against the odds the beginning of the movie actually has a quote about how bees are not aerodynamic Mm -hmm. and really that they're laughing in the face in the face of possibility by flying yeah in the first place and barry just says this again Mm -hmm. and then the flight controllers are like seems legit yeah 
And then um, all the bee jocks, the pollen jocks, uh, they, they come to the big pile of flowers and suck it up with their flower guns, which they have, and instantly terraform New York yeah, with plants. They, they repollinate, and it's, yeah, everything's coming back to life and blooming as they fly over it. And it's not like a time-lapse thing, either. It's, like, instantaneous yeah. pollination. It's not ecologically sound. <laughs> I feel like this B movie didn't do its research. <laughs> oh man! And um, order has been restored in the in the beehive where they weren't producing honey for humans anyway. Oh, except now they are because they're selling the honey yeah. from the hive in Vanessa's floristry shop. Yeah, and otherwise known as the florists. And also Barry's there working as an animal lawyer. And there's a cow? A very curse-looking cow. Yeah. Talking to Barry about milk products and not seeing any money for it. And this raises way more, like, can all animals... We know insects can talk in this movie. Yeah, because we've seen not only bees, but mosquitoes, and we've seen, like, some beetles and a grasshopper. Like, if, if cows can talk, cows has not come up before, because... I, I can I kind of understand bees because they make their own separate noise, the buzzing, and are small. So I can see them not easily communicating with humans, but cows. Yeah. Cows should have said something sooner. And cows get eaten by humans. Which, which bees, is worse. Bees do not. Can you imagine if we did? What do you reckon they taste like? I don't know. I've eaten a grasshopper before. It's just kind of crunchy. I bet you could season a bee. I'm sure you could. They'd be, yeah, it would be crunchy. They're not made of jello. Black and yellow. <laughs> um, yeah, I've had, I've eaten mealworms and I've eaten grasshoppers, but I've not eaten bees. No. I'll have to Google that later, see if people eat bees. Yeah. See if it's possible. I don't think I want to eat a bee because I'm worried about bees and their numbers globally. Yeah, but that's that's a that's a that's a, a, a that's content for a more serious podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, tragically, in this scene, Ken walks past and sees that Barry is is living with Vanessa and working there and at the florists. Yeah, and he's like, "Oh my god, this bee has taken my life!" Ah, and it's like, "Yeah, you he's have like, a right to be very angry here, Ken." Yeah, he has taken your life. <laughs> but I mean just wait a couple weeks I guess <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> oh my god I'm not going to mention the ins and outs of of what I'm about to mention but I did back in the sort of meme heyday of the B movie yeah. find online a fan fiction about Barry and Vanessa let's just say the author of the fan fiction has thought long and hard about how the relationship might work on a physical basis. Oh, God. And very creative, but also very dark. <laughs> okay. I'll tell you later. All right. This is not for the podcast. No. But, you know, people have thought about this. Again, it's like I said during the Robin Hood episode, that there would have been, like, a, a board of DreamWorks executives just sat around... Not for a long meeting, just to to say, is it fine that we've got this human and bee 
being flirty. At one point, he mentions that he's lusting after her. Yeah, he, he says, says the word that. lust. Yeah. Lust. And what are the implications? Like, let's just think this through logically, because the audience will be thinking it. And Ken's thinking it, and he's bothered. And he kind of should be. Yeah. I feel for Ken. <laughs> and, um... Yeah, and then the movie ends with, with Barry and Napoleon Jocks uh, saving Central Park and just living their lives, and it's all it's all very lovely, and, you know, here comes the sun is playing, and uh, it really gives you a nice glowing feeling in your heart. It's acid reflux. <laughs> God, I just... I was so distressed watching this. I have some questions about the economy. Like, what are they going to do now? What? Well, yeah. Like, how is this bit... Uh, uh, Vanessa at the end mentions that the honey that she's selling is be approved. So, sure. But, like, I don't understand... We were talking a bit last night about how this is a very capitalist movie. It is, yeah. Because it, it's... The bee is, like sort of sees the means of production and then the movie implies that once the the workers have rights they'll just stop working and then the earth will die yeah like that just seems disingenuous and unfair it's also just ridiculous because the the bees in the hive it was from originally were making honey for their own societal benefit Anyway, anyway yeah. all the bees apart from Barry were happy with the system. Mm-hmm. They all chipped in and did their own thing. And sure, okay, problems in, with that society is that you, you can't really change your job. Yeah. You do get to choose what the job you want, yeah. at least. And everyone's put something in, get something out of it, you know? Yeah. They all seem quite content. It's only Barry that has that takes issue. And it's like, at the end of the movie... I think the bees are worse off because they're now giving, they're now forfeiting some of their honey to humanity. Yeah, Barry's hive is now doing that, which it wasn't before. Like, it's not like Barry is a bee from a honey farm initially. No. We never find out what happens to the honey farm bees. No, some of them get liberated. But we never really see them again. No. And maybe it would be a better movie if Barry was from a honey farm. I think it would be a little more clear what he wanted, you know? Yeah. Because it... Also, having Barry be like, I'm speaking on behalf of all bees against all humans. And then all bees just simultaneously stop working after humans stop taking the honey from bees at honey farms. consulted anyone it would have been been the bees at his hive Mm -hmm. i don't know if he's had a teleconference with all bees around the world although maybe they maybe it's a hive mind Uh (laughs) and that's how you write no one made a hive mind joke joke. no one made a hive mind joke in the movie no they were busy making jokes that were all look it's honey get it (laughs) bees (laughs) yeah or making like pretty dark jokes about anything else, any topic going. Yeah. God, what a movie! And now I feel like I don't need to ask this question, but I, but I can't not. 
Shannon, did you think the B-movie was cursed, blessed, or blessed? This is a hard cursed for me. <laughs> yeah, this might this might be one of my bottom films for the podcast. This might be one of the most cursed. So you, you said it wasn't as bad as Cat in the Hat. Uh, no, Cat in the Hat is still the worst one for me. You said Cats was better than this. Do you stand by that? Yeah, I stand by the fact that, that the Tom Hooper Cats film was better than the B-movie. At least that movie has jams in it, you know? <laughs> yeah. It had redeeming qualities. This does not. Um, I think Cat in the Hat edges it out as my least favorite so far, just by virtue of how gross Cat in the Hat is. <laughs> On every level. <laughs> and I think the live-actionness of Cat in the Hat gives it the edge. Yeah. Because it's like, B-movie is not... The bees, at least, are not badly animated. The humans look very strange, but in kind of a DreamWorks-y sort of way. Yeah. Um, that maybe I'm just used to. Apart from that baby, which is straight out of my nightmares. Yeah, yeah. The baby, <laughs> the baby looks like a medieval painting baby. Um, but everyone else was like fine. They looked like the humans from Shrek. You know, it's like yeah. It's like, we're not we're not talking like Elsa from Frozen, well animated, but it's not horrific. No, no. Um, it's like, did you ever watch the Barbie movies? I've seen, like, one of them, I think. The humans in DreamWorks look like the Barbies from the Barbie movies. They do, yeah. Which is fine. Yeah, they're fine. Elise, did you think that the B-movie was cursed, blurst, or blessed? I think in different hands, a movie with a very similar premise could easily have been a high blurst. Mm. The premise itself is is not bad. Mm-hmm. It needs some work... Uh, I, I, uh, yeah, I mean, it's cursed, right? Yeah, it's cursed. It's so (laughs) cursed. It's cursed. I think it's fixable, (laughs) but it's just such a cultural heritage thing now. Like, it's, it's, it's been memes to oblivion. (laughs) And it kind of is bad enough to be memes to oblivion. Like, it's, and the thing is, I think that the, we've been joking about the human romance thing, but like, the human bee romance isn't. One of the least cursed elements of this film. Yeah. (laughs) You think, like, this is the weird part when you're watching it, and then the legal drama starts. Yeah. And you're still only, like, a third of the way through the movie. Oh, yeah, you're only, like, two genres in at that point. (laughs) Don't worry, you've got five more to go. (laughs) (laughs) This is really, you know, a good case for a well-crafted joke. Made yeah. with thought and multiple references and coming from a place of of, of, of of kindness versus the 20 jokes a minute yeah. like gag factory <laughs> that is the 1980s, 1990s American stand-up circuit mm. which has produced this movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there is really no quality control on the jokes, and I think it just sort of, like, lowers the whole thing. Yeah. To, like... I don't know if there's jokes in there that could have been funny, but I just was bombarded by unfunny things. Well, there's world-building stuff that that could be made fun. They tried. I feel like the world-building in the beehive mm. was better than any of the dialogue. But yeah. it still seemed very half-hearted. Can, can compare that to, again, I'm mentioning this movie twice in a row in this podcast, but Zootopia, mm-hmm. right? You've got a city made 
by animals for animals, different mm. biomes, all sorts of like puns based on different companies and stuff. Mm. Oh, by the way, this movie was clearly in some sort of financial deal with Cinnabon that is yeah. mentioned twice with like lots of Cinnabon logo imagery mm-hmm. featured throughout Weird. And okay, back to Zootopia. Like, that's an example of like that's packed full of jokes. Yeah. I'm not saying trying to do lots of jokes in one go isn't a, like it's I like very quick paced funny things. Mm-hmm. But just make them good, you know? Yeah. But yeah, ultimately I think this is a blurst movie. Any attempts at being clever at all mm-hmm. were like it's like the writing team were like it would be funny if X, and yeah, it would have been funny if X, but then they just leave it at the concept. So did you say blurst? Cursed. Okay, okay. There, it could be blurst. It could be blurst. It could be blurst, but they just have given it, like, the least possible. And it's so cynical, like, all DreamWorks movies from this time are so cynical. Yeah, they've, they've learned they can make a sarcastic joke, and that's the only kind of joke they know how to make now. <laughs> It's true. Yeah. Oh, man. This is like... I mean, it's not early 2000s, but it's Mm mid-2000s. I still think this is a bad time for kids' movies. It is, yeah. We haven't gotten out of the... This horrible era. Yeah, I almost feel like the mid-90s is our sweet spot so far on this podcast. It really is. I would not have predicted that, honestly. No, um, that all, like, early 2000s is when we grew up. This is such a cursed era. Yeah, and it's, yeah, the, movie, the movies are so cynical, they're so commercial. Yeah. Super commercial, in, in that I thought that was just, like, a standard part of kids' films. Mm-hmm. Goddamn capitalism. <laughs> Goddamn capitalism, Goddamn Jerry Seinfeld. That's all I have to say about this. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm glad you had a great time with that. Oh, I had a wonderful time. <laughs> I, I'm glad it lives up to the hype. Oh my god. <laughs> but but it, uh, but it's fine because we're moving into your favorite time of year, Halloween. It's time. It's Halloween time, baby. We have a slew, an absolute slew, I tell you, of Halloween shit to talk about. TV shows, movies, mostly movies, monsters and ghouls. This is my zone. I'm ready. Pumpkins and and what have you. (laughs) Get hyped. I guess it's not really going to be like proper Halloween this year. Like you can't go to house parties because of the Rona. Mm. So, so if you're craving the uh, the Halloween spirit, you, the only option really is to listen to our podcast, Cursed or Blurst, which you can get anywhere that you get your podcasts, apart from SoundCloud. Spend Halloween with us. Sp- don't spend Halloween with SoundCloud. <laughs> Do what you want. And I mean, listen, there's great creators on SoundCloud. Some of my friends are on it. I should stop talking negatively about the place it just i don't want to have to pay money to put extra stuff out on there yeah and i'm already paying podbean this is the bizarre behind the scenes reality of of, of hosting a podcast guys mm-hmm. it's not all free it's not all fun and games it's and and hurricane glasses it's hard graft mm-hmm. we're making uh audio honey for you we're the little worker bees <laughs> and this 
these sound waves are like honey pouring into your ear holes. Oh, God. And that's what earwax is. <laughs> we should watch Shrek soon. Bye, listeners. That pained expression's back on your face. 